If you would, turn with me to, to the book of Exodus, chapter 34, 34, verse 10. Before I read that, how many of you have been enjoying the series we've been in? Amen? Oh, come on, I need a better amen than that. How many of you have been enjoying the word? In, in this series, pastor's been speaking to us about the process of possessing our promised land. How many of you are believing for a promise over your life? Amen? I truly, but we truly believe that here, that everyone has a destiny and everyone has a, a promise. But how many know that it's a process? Amen? Destiny is not just about a destination. How many know it's about a journey? And what we've been doing is we've been looking, we've been looking at the process that Israel went through as they possessed their promise hand, promised land to see what we can learn from them. Amen? Pastors talked to us about Gilgal, Jericho, AI. He talked to us about the mountain of cursing and the mountain of blessing extremely powerful messages. If you haven't heard those, I encourage you go back and listen to them on the podcast. But I want to continue in this vein and continue this series. Today, I want to talk to you about the power of convictions. Come on, turn your neighbor and say the power of convictions. And my subtitle this morning is beware the moldy bread of compromise. I want to speak to you today about the power of convictions and the danger of compromise. Amen. Amen. God instructed Israel. He said, when you move into the promised land, he told them, I want you to drive out the inhabitants of that land. And he said, do not make a covenant with them. But we we discover in Exodus 34, let's see what the Lord said. And he said, behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you he said observe what I command you this day behold I am driving out from before you the Amorite the Canaanite the Hittite the Perizzites I I, I, for some reason when I'm reading that all I can see is parasite how many got some parasites in your life right the Hivites and the Jebusites, all the ites. Just turn to him and say, he told them to drive out all the ites. All the ites. All right. And he said, take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with it, the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. So God says, when you get into the land that I promised you, do not make a covenant with any of them. Drive them out of the land. Now, really quick, I just want to mention this. I'm just building Canaanites are talked about over 150 times in the Bible, okay? And if you'll remember who the Canaanites were, they were the direct descendants of Noah's grandson, Canaan. You remember when Noah's son, Ham, sinned against Noah, and Noah actually cursed Ham and his son, Canaan. Cursed them, right? And then Canaan moved to what came to be known as the land of Canaan. And so he was literally living under a curse. And his descendants became known as the Canaanites. And then, of course, the Lord mentioned other tribes that were living in the land. But you'll see as we progress through the story, eventually the Lord and and Israel, they just began to refer to everyone in the land as the Canaanites. Hey, right? They They were people who were living under a curse, who were possessing the land that was promised to Israel. And God said, when you move into this place, 
Don't make a covenant with them. Drive them out. Amen. You guys following with me? We're just doing a little warm up. I'm going to preach in like five minutes. But years later, we see that when the angel of the Lord appeared to Israel, they were in a mess. Instead of being a living example of the goodness of God, instead of living in the, the, the fullness of the favor that God called them to live in, in the promised land, they were in a mess. And it's because they didn't obey the voice of the Lord that told them to drive out the Canaanites. Okay, one more. We're going to read one or two more scriptures and we're going to get this thing going. Judges chapter two, verse one through four. It says, then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bacham and said, I led you from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And he says, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. Someone say tear down their altars. But listen, he says, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side and their God shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel, they wept. So God gives some clear instructions to Israel and he says, obey. And what happens is this, plainly speaking, what Israel did is they partially obeyed God. Now, how many of you have been walking with the Lord long enough to understand that partial obedience is disobedience? Right? Delayed obedience, disobedience. Partial obedience, disobedience. And because Israel fell into a place of compromise, God said, because you've done this, he says, Basically, he said, I'm not going to drive them out of your land. They're going to be like a, they're going to be a thorn in your side and their gods are going to be a snare to you. They compromised. But see, their slide towards misery and their disobedience can be traced back and started in this one story. This is the last verse I'm going to read as we warm up today. It all began right here in Joshua chapter nine. You guys with me this morning? It says, but when they, let me back up for a second. So Joshua has just had some tremendous victories at Jericho and Ai. How many know what happened at Jericho was amazing? How many know what happened at Ai was incredible? The Lord was delivering the land into their hands and they were experiencing victory. And the Gibeonites heard about the, about Israel and they knew they could see the writing on the wall. It was just a matter of time. So they got to the cities of the Gibeonites. But listen to what the Bible says in Joshua. It says, but when the inhabitants of Gideon, Gibeon heard what Joshua had done, listen, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. They took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. Someone say moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to, and said to him and the men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. 
So they could read the writing on the wall and they knew, okay, they've conquered Ai, they've conquered Jericho, they're coming. So what they did is they came up with a very clever plan. They said, let's go to them, let's bring a bunch of worn out attire, worn out food, and let's convince them that we came from somewhere far, even though we're their neighbor. See, the, 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 the Gibeonites had come on an assignment to bring deception. <laughs> the thing about stepping into your promise is that you become not only more visible to people, but you become more visible to principalities. <laughs> Amen? It's, you know, I think that's, that's some of the reason why... Oftentimes we, we think, God, why haven't you promoted me yet? God, why haven't you moved in this way yet? It's because God's preparing us. Because when you start to move in, in, in significant direction towards your assignment, you better believe that there's going to be some opposition. You better believe it. But see, here's the thing. The enemy can't take the promise that God has given to, to you. He can't take it from you without your permission. He didn't give it. It's not his to take. He can steal it from you if he can get you to lay it down or if he can get you to compromise. He comes to steal, kill and destroy. But how does he do it? He's been doing it since the Garden of Eden. It's through deception. He comes to Adam and Eve and he says, you know what? God doesn't want you to eat of this tree because he knows you'll be just like him. The crazy part was they were already like him. He says, let's, let us make man in our image, in our, they were like God, but the, in, but the enemy convinced them that they lacked something and got them to compromise based upon a lie. That's why Jesus said he's the father of lies. <laughs> All he does is lie, 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 lie. And his mother-in-law, the devil's a liar and his mother-in-law. That's right. <laughs> Bishop Tudor, thank you for that. He's, he's literally, you know, when I was thinking about the enemy, he's literally like the ultimate Bernie Madoff. He comes promising stuff. And before you know it, he's made off with all of your stuff. <laughs> and that's what he did. But it's deception. Someone say deception. And so what Israel did is, is because they were deceived, they, made, they, they fell into deception and they made a covenant. And see... The enemy knows the best way to slow you down is to get you to compromise because it's hard to walk in your promise when you're making covenants with darkness. Amen? The first thing, though, I want to say this. The first thing, I want to give you four points today, lessons we can learn from this story. The first mistake and the first thing we can learn from what Israel did in that moment so that we can possess our promise is we can learn from the first thing they did wrong, which is this. They didn't seek the counsel of the Lord. This is what it says in Joshua 9 verse 14. The men of Israel took some of the provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. Let me make it plain. They made a decision without praying. How many know that the more you move towards your promise, the decisions you make are more and more important? And it's dangerous to try to navigate through our promised land without listening to the voice of the Lord. 
So what happened was in that moment, they just, they just decided, okay, we're going to make a decision, but we're not going to seek the counsel of the Lord. You know what? I'm convinced that many of the decisions that we make, I know I can certainly speak for myself. Many of the decisions I've made in my life that, that, that turned out to not be the right one, they could have been avoided had I just sought the counsel of the Lord. <laughs> you see, because God wants to give us wisdom, understanding, and direction so that we make wise choices. That's why Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Someone say, lean not on my own understanding. We've got to have the voice of the Lord. He told Israel, I'm going to be the voice that's behind you that tells you go this way or that way. And I was thinking about this this week. How many of you love the word of God? So, you know, we live by the, you know, we live by the word of God and the word of God gives us direction. But here's what I also know. We also are called to hear his voice, right? So he speaks through his word, but he also speaks a rhema word to us. You know, he'll never contradict his word, right? But see, it's so important that we have both. And I love to use this example. The apostle Paul, when he was, he was in his ministry, and man, he was rocking and rolling. He knew the command that Jesus said. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, right? The apostle Paul, he took it literally. He was going everywhere. And the Bible says he set out to go to Asia. All, he was obeying what the Bible said, go into all the world. But the Bible says that that night, God gave him a dream. And it was a dream of a Macedonian man crying out for him to come to Macedonia. So when Paul woke up, he knew, I don't need to go to Asia. I need to go to Macedonia. See, he was obeying the written word and he was just going, going, going. But then there are some times where the rhema word of God comes because, no, I want you to do this specific thing. I want you to go to this specific place. And listen, you can, you can bank on what the word of God says, but there are some times where we need to go to him and say, God, what's a, I need a fresh word. I need you to highlight a fresh word right now in your word for this specific moment. Because I can't just rely on what I understood yesterday. I need a fresh rhema word today. And, sometimes, and it will sometimes come through scripture or him breathing on it in that moment. But it's, a, it's about having a fresh word. We've got to seek the counsel and the voice of the Lord. Especially when we're navigating in the promised land. When the enemy, where the enemy is putting traps and snares. But see, the voice of the Lord is like our protection. It's our safety. Amen? Are you with me? And what's, what's crazy about this story, it's so crazy, is the Bible says here, it said up there, it says that they took some of their provisions and they made a covenant with them. It's so, it's so crazy when, when you think about this exchange. They're exchanging the fulfillment of what God told him he would do for moldy bread, worn out sandals, worn out clothes, and worn out materials. Because see, when, when, when deception comes into our life, the exchange is never worth it. Compromise, it, it's, it's always the quick way to get something or do something or try to make it happen or, or this or that. But it's never worth it because if you look at what they exchanged, what did they end up with? Nothing. 
The exchange is never worth it when it comes to compromise. I don't know about you. I've lived long enough this. I have my own walk with the Lord. and I've observed it. I have learned this is that sin and compromise always over promises, but it will always under deliver. It's never worth it. When you compromise what the Lord, the promise that the Lord has given you, what you're exchanging for, I promise you, I don't care what it looks like in the moment. You'll wake up a week from then, a month from then, a year from then, two years from then, five years from then. You're thinking, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Because it's not worth it. Turn your neighbor and say, it's not worth it. Here's the thing. Imagine how Israel felt when three days later, the Bible says that they realized who the Gibeonites were. They said, they're not from a far country. They're, they're literally, that, that was one of the next cities we were going to conquer. But because they made a covenant with them, they had to actually give them work in the land. Okay which they were going to have to do anyway after they conquered, okay? And so they, they compromised for nothing. Then it, go, it goes a step further. Once the other cities in, is, in the land of Canaan realized what Israel had done, the Bible says they immediately attacked the Gibeonites. You know why? Because Israel made a covenant with Gibeon, now they had to fight Gibeon's battles too. Have you lived long enough to realize that some of the decisions we make, it's got us fighting battles that God never called us to fight and fighting stuff that we were never called to fight because of one compromise. Because they came in a covenant with Gibeon, they had to honor it because they gave the covenant in the name of the Lord. And now they're having to fight Gibeon's battles. Someone said, we've got to seek his counsel when making big decisions. Secondly, what this passage tells me is this, is that we've got to be willing to take a stand and not compromise just because it's inconvenient for us to do so. I kind of want, now I want to shift and speak to more where we're at. I feel like this is especially important for the times that we're living in. Are you with me this morning? The temptation that we as believers are facing today is to compromise our values and not stand for truth because it's inconvenient. And and truth be told, it's getting more and more inconvenient. And can I make you a prediction? It's going to get more inconvenient before it gets better. Because there's, there's a cultural clash going on in America. There's a, there's a battle. I believe there's a battle going on for the soul of America right now, right? There's a war over the, I think there's a war over the destiny of our nation. And there's this temptation for us to shrink back and a compromise, you know, because on one hand, we, we want to be seen as people of grace. That's good. We want to be, you know, we don't want to be perceived as harsh and unmerciful. We don't want to be uh, perceived as ignorant or not understanding You know, we want to be people of love. How many know that all those things are good? It's good to want to be loving. It's good to want to be caring. It's it's good to not want to be a jerk, right? Right? Like, how many know that Jesus didn't call us to be like jerks for Jesus, right? Some Christians are just mean. It's good to not want to be that. But there's this temptation to shrink back. 
But I think that Jesus shows us a better way. The Bible says in, in the book of John that, he con- that when he came, he was full of grace and truth. Someone say grace. grace. Someone say truth. Grace. See, truth is absolute. It's not bending. It's not yielding. How many know the truth doesn't change with the, trend, with the trends? How many know the truth doesn't change with the opinions? Or the current cultural trends? Truth is truth. It's established. It will forever be truth. How many know that? Say amen. But truth that doesn't have grace can come across as harsh legalism and judgmental. Which is why the Bible says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Okay? So, so we want to talk about this tension. I believe the Lord has called us to walk in the personification of grace and truth. But if we have truth without grace... Then we seem legalistic. We seem self-righteous and judgmental. Okay. Can I get real for a second? Come on. Let me get real, real. Okay. Someone say that. Say get real, real. This is kind of what I'm saying. Let me, I'm, let me make it, bring it down to plain terms. It's not about winning arguments on Facebook. See, we weren't called to give people a piece of our mind. We were called to give them Jesus. It's crazy. And I'm just going to use social media as an example because I've never seen since the 2016 election till now, I've never seen more angry Christians on social media. And I love some of the stands, but what's happening is the world is only seeing what we stand against. They're not seeing what we stand for. And we got to be careful. We got to be careful that we're not literally just giving them a piece of our mind or trying to win an argument or trying to win a debate that we're failing to give them Jesus because Jesus was grace and truth. I believe, this is what I believe, that a Christian who only shares their opinion but doesn't demonstrate the love of Christ, you're doing actually a harm to the witness of the church. Amen? And and I believe that's why Jesus' approach was best. Jesus taught us that we got to go low. Jesus taught us that we got to get into their world. You know, you know that, you know that Jesus ate dinner with some very sketchy people in his lifetime. And let me ask you a question. You know, and we read these stories and Jesus never compromised who he was or what he taught. But he showed us that grace is not afraid to get where the mess is. Because grace, what does the Bible say? Love covers a multitude so if people only hear a shouting, but they don't see grace, if they only hear truth, but they don't, they don't see grace. If you really think about it, if Jesus is grace and truth, if you're only presenting truth without grace, you're not really showing them the full picture of Jesus. And you know why Jesus could always be honest with people? I remember reading the Bible one day. I mean, and Jesus, Jesus would be amongst sinners and he would be loving them. And then he would tell them straight up, stop sinning, right? Like, just stop. And I, I used to, I'd be like, Jesus, you know, you, you're so full of grace, but you could also give this, you could not compromise and you could speak these, these words of correction. But it was, in, you know, in, it, it was like, it was like this weird, not weird. It was like this awesome combo of love and truth. You know, it's like, and, and the Lord spoke to me and I, I feel like he really showed me this is that, he told me, he said, I, I never corrected anyone I wasn't willing to die for. I, I, I never corrected anyone I wasn't willing to love. And so 
when the world sees our stand for truth, which we need to do, we've got to go the low, humble route like Jesus and be willing to serve people and love people and show grace all the while standing for truth. Because Jesus never compromised. Even, and even when he stu- st- uh, stood in the middle of, a, of an execution when they were stoning the woman caught in the act of adultery, he silenced her accusers. But then he, told, he looked at her and he said, go and sin no more. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. Someone say grace and truth. But how many of you also know that grace without truth leads to compromise? There are a lot of Christians in our time and in this time we're living that think that all we got to do is show grace. And listen, the same way if we show truth without grace, if we demonstrate grace without truth, we're falling into another trap. We often lead, uh, it leads us to a place of compromise. It's like this. If you really think about grace and love, if you, if, if you display that, but you spare people the truth, you don't really love them. I'll never forget. I'll never forget one night when, when I was younger and I was living with my grandparents and our neighbor's house caught on fire, but then it caught our house on fire or it was, it was starting to, it almost did, but I'll never forget that knock in the middle of the night. This man came boom, 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 boom. I mean, it scared me and I opened the door and he said, our house is on fire and yours is about to catch on fire. How many know you've never got it? You've never got out of a house quicker than that, right? But that's kind of how it is. If you only show grace, but you never speak truth, you don't really love that person. Because when you see that a person's life is on fire, when you see that a person's life is being ruined by the decay of sin and compromise, you don't withhold the truth from them that can set them free. So what's happening is, is we're falling into one or two camps and there's a lot of Truth being spoken, but not grace. There are a lot of grace being shown, but truth is up. And what we need is we need the perfect balance, the, the way that Jesus showed us to stand in grace and truth where there's no compromise. Someone say amen. amen. Grace and truth. And I really do. I really believe that the world needs to see this witness in us. But man, listen, listen I'm not going to spare the truth from you, but, I'm, I, but I love you. I'll serve you. I'll do whatever you, I'll, I'll love you. I'll walk with you. But you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to water this thing down for you. And you know what? I'm not going to water this thing down for no one. I'm going to stand for what is right. But you know what? No one's going to be able to accuse me of not caring, not loving, not showing grace. Cause I'm going to do both. Amen. Someone say yes. All right. Number three, you guys with me? Oh, and I got to hurry. Man, it's crazy how time flies when you're having fun. Number third, number three, you're going to have to pay a price to be a person of conviction. Someone say price. If I can be honest with you, I think that this is the part of the gospel that's most missing from Western Christianity. It's the, the price of following Jesus. How many know there's a price? How many know salvation is free? But how many know that following him is costly? And you know what? I want to tell you something. Being a person of conviction requires you to make choices and pay a price to walk in them. Just ask the three Hebrew boys. Ask Daniel. 
Ask Joseph. Ask Jesus. Ask the apostles. (laughs) There's a cost at being a person who doesn't compromise. Because when I said yes to Jesus, I said that I would begin to say no to, to myself. That means that, that means that, you know, for me to be a person that doesn't have compromise, that means I have to be careful what influences me. I'm about to get real again, okay? Can I get real, real? You see, the horrible thing about religion is religion made everything bad. Right? I mean, it made everything bad. Every movie was bad. Every piece of music was bad. Everything was bad. It, made, it created this long list. But how many of you know every movie is not bad? Every song is not bad. Every concert's not bad. So what happened was religious, religion just called everything bad. But then we've also seen in our, in our time where the pendulum has swung so far the other way that Christians now have almost, we've kind of in a lot of ways let our guard down and we've got to begin to ask ourselves who's influencing us. And, and it's not about legalism and it's not about rules. It's about relationship. The Bible says that the sons of God are led by the spirit of God. You don't need a list. You just know in your spirit when you're seeing something, that's not good for my eyes. When you hear something, you know, that's not good for my ears. That's not good for my heart. That's not good for my soul. That's not good for my spirit. How many know what I'm talking about? And I feel like this is not meant to be harsh in any way, but this is just to be a caution. There is nothing wrong with putting up some boundaries and walls in your life that says, I'm going to be careful what comes into this body, what comes into my mind, what comes into my eyes. Sorry, it's too hot up here. I got to close. It is extremely hot. How many of you know that's true? Lastly, I gotta, I gotta hurry. So it's, it's gonna cost me some of the things that I may want to do, right? But you know what? The exchange, that exchange is worth it because anything that Jesus asked me to give up, you know what I gain? I gain Him, right? I keep my peace. My conscience is clear. I don't have to go to bed at night. Are you, are you with me tonight? How many know that if it costs you your, your, your peace, it's too expensive? But here's the other, here's, I'm going to close on this, but here's the other cost. And I, I just felt led to encourage someone on this. There's another cost to this. It's your reputation. See, no matter how loving you are, graceful you are, when you make a stand, there are just some people that aren't going to receive it well. How many of you have been on the other end of that? See, some of you, you've been, you, you get made fun of by family who think that you take this church thing too seriously. Some of you are made fun of by friends who say you take this Jesus thing too seriously. Some of you have been mocked at work because you dare to speak for righteousness. Can I have two minutes to close? Two more minutes? I told the the service this morning, this story. I'll never forget when I was a teenager and the Lord had really done a work in my life. Like, you know, when you just, the Lord just wrecks you, just a fresh work. And my heart was so tender and I just wanted God. And I remember pulling up to a water park. I was with some friends 
And it was one of those situations where if you're 12 and under, you get in free that day. But I was like 13 or 14. And they were like, Drew, look, just tell them you're 12. Just tell them you're 12. You know what? On, 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 <laughs> had they caught me about six months before, maybe I would have. I don't know. But the Lord had done something in my heart. And it wasn't like a self-righteous thing. It was just like a genuine thing. I said, I can't do that. I'm not 12. I'm not going to sit here and lie. And I'll never forget, it was my first time to experience this. Someone in the car said, man, don't mind him. He's just too Christian, man. And see, that's silly. But when I was 14, it hurt. And then I, I've, I've experienced it in small doses. I mean, even just recently, someone close to me who's not necessarily in church made some comments. And you know what? Sometimes it hurts. This is what the Lord taught me in that. Because here, if you're going to make a stand, you're going to experience some kind of rejection. You know how I know that? How many are thankful for the promises of God, right? He'll, uh, those who wait upon the Lord will have their strength renewed, right? He'll supply all of my needs according. Well, okay, here's another promise. The godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. Jesus said, blessed are you. Listen to what he said. He said, you're blessed when people revile you and speak falsely against you. You know what Jesus taught me over the years? He says, it's actually a very sweet thing to be spoken bad about for his name. Because then you've stepped into the sufferings of Jesus, what the Bible calls the sufferings of Christ. And there's a special manifestation of his love in that place because you didn't move and you didn't change because there's that temptation in us to want to be liked and loved and all that. And here's the thing, because we don't like rejection. But can I tell you something? If someone rejects you because of what you stand for, they're not really rejecting you. They're really rejecting him. So you can't, you can't take it personal. You can't take it personal. When I was younger, I took it personal until I realized We've got to move from being hurt by people to hurting for them. Are you hearing me? So it will come when you make a stand. It's going to come. Someone's going to say something. Someone's going to say something or do something that hurts you because you're choosing to follow Jesus. And when it happens, don't take it personal. You're not rejected. You know why? You can't be rejected. You've been accepted into the beloved. You've been accepted by God. Your identity can never be rejected. And actually, when you experience that kind of persecution for standing for what's right, you're actually stepping into a sweet place with Jesus. And you know what? He'll comfort you. And you know what? He'll teach you how to not take it personally, not get a spirit of offense. Don't get offended. Don't get offended. Don't let your heart get offended. Let your heart break and pray for them and pray for them. But I'm telling you, if you're going to follow Jesus and you're going to stand, don't think that you're going to get through that without some bumps and bruises from people or some words. But you've got to remain resolute. Are you with me this morning? How many know that that price is worth it? Paul said, if I was seeking to be a servant of man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. You walk in grace. You walk in truth. Let the Lord handle their heart. Amen. You walk in love. Let the Lord deal with their heart. Would you stand with me?